Greetings, Gamer Nation. For those of you sending drops, the bar has just been raised. This is Master Sacred, warning you to be mindful of your podcast. Your ears can deceive you, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Transmission incoming from the big giant head. The big giant head will never come to you via the Order 66 podcast. He cares about quality. This is Anakin Skywalker, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast, mostly because my mommy won't let me. (laughs) She says we need to save credits for acting lessons. I'll never be a Jedi. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Execute Order 66 Hola, Gamer Nation. This is Cinco de Mayo Square, Sunday, May 25th, 2008. We are indeed having a show. Surprise, surprise. Episode number 19 coming at you live from Dallas, Texas. I am GM Dave. And I am GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? I'm so glad we could have a show today, Dave. The eve before Memorial Day, which those of you who are not from this uh, large country they call the US of A is where we uh, get really, really trashily drunk and celebrate all the soldiers who died in the various wars that our country has fought. That's right. All you uh, Frenchmen, today's your day to give thanks. (laughs) Aw, that's a little cruel. Well, that's the first, actually, that's the second rule of French warfare that the uh, French only win whenever they're helped by the Americans. This is true. This and is very uh, true. the first rule if, is if that they only uh, they only win when they fight themselves. So you know. Uh, well, it's kind of hard to yeah. Google it. To. So uh, how are you, man? Are you are you a sheet to the wind yet, or two sheets to the wind? No, maybe? I do have my Mike's Hard Lemonade right next to me. Um, you know, I am uh, enjoying a, a leisurely weekend. We don't have to work tomorrow, so uh, we're going <sighs> to stay up late, play a little Warcraft, and uh, you know. Yes, uh, after I'm done here, um, my wife is scowling me. I think some some rock band is in my future later Ooh. tonight. And I'm sitting here sipping on a luscious glass of uh, scotch. Uh, scotchy, scotch, scotch. I like scotch. Watch it go down. Down into my belly. <sighs> down into my belly, yes. Or are you going to give us the, I got thrown out of a bar, a la Ron White. White, yeah, pretty funny, pretty funny stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh, well, we got a pretty uh, a pretty funny podcast today, or actually, I'd say a pretty long podcast today. Oh Lord, we we have some good some good stuff to cover. We do um, have lots evening. of crunch and meat, crunch and meat and fluff and, and all kinds of good 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 stuff to talk about. Yummy goodness, yummy goodness. So, <laughs> strap in, sit back, and be ready to be mildly entertained and amused, and maybe you'll get something out of it. Gosh, I hope you do. I sure hope uh, you do. But let's move to announcements. Uh, we have an announcement, which is the same announcement we had last week. We of do? course, our sister podcast. Oh, hold on. This time I'm going to. See, this time I can fire it off on time. Oh, 
if I let you. Yeah, that's oh, that's that's brilliant. For those of you who have not heard, our sister podcast, Radio Free Hamlet, part of the D20 Radio Network, has their first podcast up. It is a podcast strictly relating to Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, and that first episode is up right now. You can download it yourself at homlet.com that's h-o-m-m-l-e-t.com or if you go to d20radio.com you can find it on the links page right there from our own website that's right and that link is finally working for all you 404 fans out there (laughs) yes those of us who love and hate the ubiquitous 404 and if anybody knows how to link an rss feed from inside a blog send me a you know an idiot's guide because there are several id10t errors later i finally got just a, a link straight link over to their site Oh, let DM Tim know. He knows everything. That man is like the most intelligent human being I've met. So we'll have to, you know, yeah, get, get that done. But you guys can find a rudimentary link right on the website at d20radio.com. And while you're there, why don't you swing on over to the forums page at d20radio.com slash forum, sign up, become a member of the Gamer Nation, and get your voice heard. That's right. And if you're wanting to attempt... I do mean attempt to leave a I Never Listen to the Order 66 podcast bumper that is even remotely better than the one Master Sacret sent us. Um, You can try, you pathetic whimpering sacks of... uh, Meat sack. Meat sacks, yes. And you can give us a call at 206-600-5872 on the loose line and leave any bumpers you might have or any questions you might have for mail call or the D20 docking bay, and we will happily rifle through it, and most likely delete it before we then change our minds and decide to put it on the show anyway. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, by the way, uh, as, I div- as I diverge, uh, since, since it's Sunday night, and, you know, this is going to be a long cast anyway, I saw Iron Man yesterday. Finally? Oh, my gosh, dude. Maybe the best superhero movie that I have seen uh, maybe ever. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I don't really know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, the original Superman was great and cheesy all at the same time. but In its day, it was brilliant. In its day, it was great. You're right. You're exactly right. But this is something to behold. This is up there with The Dark Knight for me. This is like one of the best superhero movies I've ever had. You know, if you guys do get a chance to listen to uh, Radio Free Homeless first cast, hang around till the end of the credits. They have a nice little 10-minute discussion geeking out about how wonderful the movie is. Oh, that's and right. If you I haven't seen that. it. That's you know, right. go see it. It's it's a pigeon movie. Yeah, and you have to hang out to the very end of the credits, like you said. You just you have to. Yes, do do stay till the end of the credits. It is worth it. So, in well, any event, and if you want to uh, write us and tell us the goodness of of uh, any other <laughs> Iron Man or or, or comic or or gaming uh, event, you're welcome to do so. And uh, you can email us at gmchris at d20radio.com or gmdave at d20radio.com and sound off. And speaking of mail, Dave, I did manage to run down to my mailbox in my drunken state this morning and fish out of the depths of that blackened steel tube a postcard. Oh, boy. I don't know about this. I really don't. It's going to be pretty good. Check, Check this out. Um, <clears throat> this uh, this is a rather professional-looking postcard. Um, it's made from kind of odd, a metallic sheet. Uh, it, it's printed kind of like deck plating. Look at it. It's even got little rivets. Look at that. Huh. And uh, the, the carefully stamped lettering in the face um, of it is, is beneath a beautiful engraving of a starship, and it reads, The corporation welcomes you to Duro, customer. It is a pleasure doing business with you. From across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards from Commander Cody. Dear GM 
Dave and GM Chris. It's been a strange week. Me and the other clone commanders from several other squads have been pulled from regular duty for the next few days. We've accompanied the Emperor and several of his morphs to Duro, where our input is being gathered for the design and planning of some type of massive battleship. Even bigger than a Star Destroyer. <laughs> I've always heard the Duros were great Starship manufacturers, but I had no idea the scope of it till I got here. Duro itself doesn't have a great deal of population planet side, but the most of the planet's land is taken up by massive manufacturing plants and shipyards. The Duro, it appears, is surrounded as surrounded by thousands of orbital cities, where the majority of the Duro's population lives and works. And over it all is the corporation. The local planetary government, all manufacturing and trade, everything, is the domain of the Duro Corporation. They say the locals here can't even vote unless they own stock. <laughs> the Emperor seems pleased with the efficiency of it. For a world of aliens, that is. Well, listen, I, I can't talk too long. I've got to go. The CEO of the planet is meeting with the Emperor in a few minutes. Oh, I don't want to be caught not at attention. Uh, you fellas take care, and remember, report any rebel sympathizers you find to the Imperial Command. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Have you been to Duro? I have, uh, I have yet to visit that fine, mechanized almost planet. Yes, well, I mean, they I understand they make great starships there, and uh, you know, it's very, you know, if you're if you're a fan of Ayn Rand or any other, you know, capitalist uh, leanings, you could probably really get your Jones on through a visit, I think. So, okay, very good. <laughs> well, thank you, Cody, for that postcard. We're going to put it right up here on the wall, though I don't know how I'm going to get a tack through it, uh, but we will find a way. Maybe, maybe I'll just tape it up there next to the others. Yeah, JB Weld. JB Weld. Thank you. Uh, but let's get to some real mail. What do you say? Okay, no problem. Sit back down and shut your trap. It's time for mail call. It's time for mail call. Yeah. We got some good mail today. Um, I got uh, a question here, first of all, from Lord Optimomo on the forums. And this actually led to a really good discussion on the forums and even a little bit of uh, less school GM Chris on some raw uh, from one of our posters, which I'm thankful for. And uh, here's Lord Optimomo's question. Just a quick question to the masses on the wealth talent. Uh, if I took first level noble and the wealth talent, I will gain 5,000 credits. Now, when I take anything but noble for my second level, do I still gain the 5,000 times my level in credits? Okay, Optimomo. Um, I've played this one way in the past, and only a recent relook at the raw, after getting kind of bitch slapped around by one of our posters, Darth Bane, has even clarified it for me. Um, the exact wording of the talent says verbatim. Each time you gain a level, including the level at which you select this talent, you receive an amount of credits equal to 5,000 times your noble level. Now, most folks I've played with have run this to mean that you only get the credits when you take a level in noble. That's how I ran it for a long time. But that's not actually what it says. Uh -huh. And uh, recent dev rulings have clarified the difference between the word level and the words noble level uh, in this example. So, you gain credits every time you level, period. It doesn't matter what class you level in. However, your noble level is used as a multiplier for the credits you receive, and that's what's important. So if you level dip noble for just, just one level, just for wealth, you'd get 5,000 credits that level, and then every other level you took, you'd gain 5,000 credits. But that's all, assuming you never took another level in noble. Does that make sense, Dave? 
Yes, that's the way I read it originally. Okay, well, thank you for thank you for showing up my my lack of reading skill once again. That's all right. Not a problem. Uh, and this might sound a little broken at first, but I mean, it's really not. I mean, the reason is the core mechanic of this game that divests a character from their gear. Okay, now when you compare this to a game like, for example, third edition Dungeons and Dragons, where you pretty much are your gear. Okay, especially at mid to high levels. In Saga, your gear means much less. Okay, credits, thusly, they, they really don't matter nearly as much. I mean, unless you're buying a, a badass starship or something. Right. I mean, as such, 5,000 credits a level is worth a talent, I mean, in my opinion. It's just as powerful a thing as the Jedi's deflect, um, well, less, actually, um, or a soldier's devil, devastating attack. So, there. That, that's kind of how it rules, and I hope that answers that question for you. Thank you. Moving on, uh, we have another question from Asak Yizrim on the forums. And he asks, if a talent like Weaken Resolve or Demand Surrender is directed towards a player character, assuming it succeeds, is the player obligated to comply with the rules of the effect, i.e. to stop fighting or to run away? Or can they say, I'd rather die than surrender and and keep fighting? Are player characters at the mercy of non-force-based mind effects? If so, some of my players would certainly contest it. But if not, these abilities would be utterly useless for NPCs. Really good question. Uh, okay, uh, several of our forum posters took a crack at this one, and for the most part, I totally agree with them. The standard rule of thumb for most D20 games of the past is that non-magical abilities that might make a player do something usually don't work. Okay, uh, The general rule is not to fink your PC like that. Okay, However, I think we can all agree that Saga is not like any other D20 system ever created, which is why I, at least, love it so much. Now, you're saying that your players might have a problem with the non-force-based effects, the mundane effects, such as we can resolve or demand surrender. Here's my quandary with that. I feel that this game has taken great steps to balance the force with other class systems and abilities. Now, that balance goes away at the point force abilities affect the minds of PCs, but mundane abilities do not. Okay. Now, there is a difference. Okay. Consider that the mechanics exist in Saga for an NPC to bluff your PCs with an opposed persuasion check to their perception. I mean, do your players have a problem when that happens? So, here's the bottom line. It's all about your playgroup. Okay. Now, I've had players with huge problems being bluffed because they're not fooled, even though their character might be. <laughs> and others have had huge problems with force powers used on them, such as Mind Trick. Okay. Why? Well, as Donovan Morningfire so sagely alluded to on our forums... Players don't like to be dicked around with. And Mind Trick, especially, has historically been the purview of the strong, working on the weak-minded. And honestly, what player really wants their character to fall into that domain? You know, I know I'm beating around the bush with this meta-play BS. I'm sorry. So let's get into the thick of it here. Should mundane abilities work on your players? In my opinion, yeah. If the Force works on them, so should the mundane. If, for nothing else, balance reasons. There is nothing in Raw, rules as written, that says they should affect PCs any differently than NPCs. I also think, as many stories alluded to on our own forums, that this is a great opportunity to roleplay your character. So, you know, that, that's my primary answer. But having said that, it all goes back to your players. Okay, if your players can't roleplay it, or they don't want to, and if they most importantly feel finked by you, then what's the point? Okay, wow, you stuck to Raw. Yay, your players aren't having any fun. Ask me which is more important. When good games go bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You could be all right, all the right in the world, all the raw in the world, and if your players aren't having fun, the game sucks and it's over. Congratulations. I will sacrifice every rule in the book if it makes for more fun at the game table. Because that, good sir, is why we play. Yep. 
Yep. So in answer to your question, I would say yes, it should affect them. But if your players have a serious problem with it, consider nerfing it. And moving on to our last question in this week's mailbag, we have a relatively recent post uh, and email from Seikos on our forums uh, regarding the dreadful rage feat. And as he puts it, can this feat do what I think it can really do? First, read the feat in your books. It requires rage, the racial ability, which one can get from Wookiee or the brand new Savrip race, which is, of course, in the Threats of the Galaxy book that was just released. Wookiee Rage, for example, a swift action that provokes a plus two rage bonus to attack and damage. Now, Dark Rage Force Power, a swift action that provides a rage bonus to attack and damage, depending on how you use the force check. Channel Anger Talent, a swift action that provides a plus two rage bonus to attack and damage. Well, well, well. True, you can't rage, then use Dark Rage, but there's nothing preventing someone from using Dark Rage, then Channel Anger, then Rage for a serious bonus to attack and damage. Now, I, as a GM, would not apply that plus five to Dark Rage, considering it's based on a skill check, but overall, you're looking at a minimum of plus 12 to a max of plus 16 to attacks and damage rolls for only a full round's worth of actions. What do you think? Well, this is an interesting notion, Seikos, but one which, unfortunately, doesn't work within Raw. Mm. As you yourself pointed out... As you yourself point out, Dreadful Rage would only apply to the racial rage bonus, but more importantly, per Raw, in particular page 241 of the core rulebook, there's a nice little sidebar, bonuses of the same type never stack, unless specifically noted. So, not only would Dark Rage's Rage bonus not stack with the Racial Rage bonus, but Channel Anger's Rage bonus wouldn't stack with either one of those two Rage bonuses, because they're all Rage bonuses. Even not considering Racial Rage, a Dark Force user couldn't even stack Channel Anger and Dark Rage by themselves, per Raw, since each bonus is a Rage bonus. Only the highest would count. They would overlap. So, I hope that answers your question. Kind of a cool find, but not legal per Raw. Oh, well... Oh, well. Oh, well. It was a good find. And he was so excited about it, too. I know. I know. Poor guy. Poor guy. Poor guy. Well, shall we move on, Dave? Hey, we have something new after the outcry of terribleness that was our 70s news bed. We toned it down a little bit. I think we amped it up a little bit. Yeah, we did. We kind of brought it into the 29th century. And... I like that. Oh, very hip, man. I, I need to get some glow sticks. Start dancing around. This is cool. Yeah. Ah. Well, it's time for news, younglings. News, news, news. So, um, for those who have not heard about the upcoming Lucasfilm uh, Star Wars movie to be released in August, uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars... And if you haven't heard about this, I don't know what rock you've been hiding under. But it does come out in August of this year, and the official full-length trailer is out, legal, (laughs) and available for download on the intertubes, and you can find it. That's right, younglings. Your next piece of Star Wars cinematic goodness will hit theaters, and you can glimpse the full trailer. Uh, You can go to apple.com slash trailers and download it immediately, including a high-def version, and you can find that link for it directly on our website. By golly. Exciting stuff. stuff. Have you watched this yet, Dave? No, I haven't. Uh, Dude. You sent me the link earlier, and I've just been so 
overwhelmed know, with stuff. I know, dude. It looks good. It looks good. I don't know about the computer animation thing. I mean, the computer animation it looks kind of cartoonish, but it actually it looks very much like the Clone Wars animated series that came out on Cartoon Network a while back, only in 3D animation this time. And I think that's what they were going for. And in that vein, it looks fantastic. But I don't know, man. Another full-length Star Wars movie to hit the cinematic screen. I am, I am stoked. Cool. Going to be very cool and very exciting. And you all should be excited too. So uh, hit our links page at d20radio.com and uh, check it out for yourself. It is wicked. All right. Well, we are going to, I guess at this point, return back to one of our newer segments. Ah, yes, indeed. Chancellor, request a motion to suspend the rules. You're gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Shut up. Motion granted. Well, uh, well. What, what's our house rule today? Uh, well, our house rule today is regarding an often lauded and uh, could be much improved talent under the Jedi class battle meditation. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Welcome back, of course, to our pseudo-regular segment on House Rules. And one of our, actually one of our moderators on the forum, and one of our very prolific forum posters, Donovan Morningfire, added this gem to his comprehensive list of House Rules, um, which is in his signature. You guys can find it. Donovan, like so many of us, felt that battle meditation was not only very weak as a talent in the core rulebook, but also just cost too much to use. A force point for a plus one encounter bonus to attack rolls for allies within six squares, and if they leave that six square radius, the bonus goes away and never comes back. Kind of steep for a force point, uh, just in my opinion. And as such, he's retooled battle meditation to be more along the lines of the ability we know and love from KOTOR, uh, though not as uber as Bastila's ability, uh, which would frankly be a tad unbalancing. Uh, Donovan thinks this shouldn't be a talent at all, but a force power. And as such, he has created battle meditation, the force power. You can influence the outcome of battle through the force. Time, a full round action. Range, special. Make a DC 20 use the force check. If successful, you grant all allied characters within 12 squares of you a plus one force bonus to their attack rolls and defenses for the duration of the power. This is a mind affecting effect. Special. You may maintain your concentration on this power, requiring a standard action each round as well as a new use the force check. If you suffer damage while maintaining battle meditation, you must succeed to use the force check, DC equal 15 plus the damage taken, to maintain concentration on the power, with the effect ending immediately upon failed use the force check to maintain this power. You can also spend a force point to increase the force bonus to plus 2 for one round. Alternatively, you can spend a destiny point to increase the bonus to plus two for the rest of the encounter. And that's the power. Um, I really like this house rule. I like it a lot. I like it so much, in fact, that it's probably going to be in my home game now. Uh, Why? Well, I think battle meditation talent was not only weak, but expensive. Hey guys, you get a plus one to attack. Just uh, stay within six squares of me at all times. <laughs> that cost me a force plant, by the way. Yeah. Uh, 
I just, yeah, I really didn't care for the talent when it came out, especially in the shadow of how awesome it was from the KOTOR games, where we first got introduced to it. And I think Donovan's uh, reinterpretation of it as a force power not only makes it something that really has to be learned at a much more sparing pace, um, unlike a talent, which honestly you can get every other level, uh, but really fits the feel of it. And so I, I really like it, and I'd like to encourage you guys to use it in your games if you find it fitting. And uh, kudos to you, Donovan Morningfire, for getting that out there. So, there it is. Yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay. What do you think, Dave? Um, yeah, I like it. I, I, I wish that I had a Force-sensitive force user uh, now. <laughs> oh, in your, oh, in your current game? Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, Solora is just never going to use the Force because his uh, charisma is, after all, a 7. It is a seven. Well, that's the price you play for paying playing a Wookiee uh, badass with a vibrowax. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's and right he is here. pretty cool. And if you guys want to find out more about Salura, Dave's character in my current home game, you can pop on the forums at d20radio.com/forum and get to the adventure section and read all about the alternate universe campaign, uh, my foray into fanfic combined with uh, Star Wars goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, what do you say we get to the meat of this show? What do you say? Let's talk about the Force Adept. Oh, I'm excited to talk about the Force Adept. The Force Adept has a special place in my heart. It really does. Uh, once it's its own class, I mean, in Revised Core Rules, um, the Force Adept traditionally represented a, a trained Force user that was not part of the Jedi tradition. Uh, maybe they were you know, a, a primitive race um, or, or a Force-using sect. The Force Adept was, I mean, back in the RCR days, distinguished by his, his lack of a lightsaber and his skill and ability set that differ from a Jedi drastically. Now, in Saga, a Force user isn't defined by their class, but their feat and talent selection. And uh, honestly, a character with Force sensitivity can always take Force talents regardless of their class. So with that in mind, a non-Jedi Force user has a more varied path he can walk, and that path might lead him down the road of the Force Adept. Nah. Nah. So, let's talk about the prereqs. Let's talk about getting there and making it work. Now, unlike the Jedi Knight or the Sith Apprentice prestige classes, which, though not a requirement, are, are clearly geared towards characters with levels in the Jedi class, this distinction is not there for the Force Adept. Now, a character can be a Force Adept as early as 8th level, but the best part? A Jedi can move into Force Adept, as well as a non-Jedi. And in fact, many of its talents seriously help a Jedi who's devoted to combat, but we'll come to that. Aww. So... Let's talk about the trained skills that are needed as prerequisites. You need to be trained in one skill to get into this class. Use the Force. Well, duh. If you're a Force <laughs> user who isn't trained in use the Force at this point, I mean, aside from a role-playing reason, you really need to rethink your character. <laughs> Since the meat of this class is about Force techniques, well, you get me. What else do we need to get into this class? Feats. Force sensitivity is the feat you need. Again, Force using prestige class here. Duh. Now we get into the more interesting choices. Uh, talents. In order to get into this prestige class, you do need three Force talents. Any three Force talents. And these would be the talents found in Chapter 6 of the Core Rulebook from the Altar, Control, Sense, and Dark Side talent trees found on pages 100 and 101 of the Core Rulebook. And by Raw, even the Gen Sarai and Dathomiri Witch talent trees found on page 107. But, which to choose? Well, let's talk about some of these talent trees, because we really haven't before. Um, let's start with the Altar Talent Tree. I like the Altar Talent Tree. I think it's perfect for the Force Wizard uh, type of build. It's a, you know, th that character has got a suite of powers filled with Force Slams, move objects, and whatnot. 
Discipline Strike is almost too useful if your party has more than one melee monster in it. And Telekinetic Savant basically nabs you a free use of one of your powers. And honestly, can you say no to that? I don't think you can. So, it's very useful, especially, as I said, for the melee meat walls in the party. And Dave, I think you can attest to the times that you've been fighting toe-to-toe with an enemy and one of your Jedi buddies has thrown off a Force Slam and caught you in the effects because it was needed. And wouldn't it be nice if he could just exclude you from that damage? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, was, I was distracted. Tony Stewart just had a flat tire at the end of the race, and I'm pissed. <sighs> Casey Kane's going to win the race. We need to have serious talk about this, dude. This, this whole sports, well, if you can call NASCAR a sport. Oh, <laughs> that's it. You know what? It's, it's on, brother. NASCAR is not a sport. NASCAR is a cultural phenomenon. Yes, yes. Uh, in, I'm not Indy, part of that the culture. The Indy cars ran this morning, and I was ticked off because freaking... Never mind. Don't even get me started. But Danica Patrick, who I'm secretly in love with, by the way, got wrecked in the pits by some freaking Scott Dixon, I think it was. Idiot. Oh. All I heard was Danica Patrick, love, dicks, Dixon, pets. <laughs> yeah, that's all I heard. And it came out wrong, dude. Really wrong. Sorry. We need, we need to get rid of this whole sports watching during the podcast thing. It's really <laughs> screwing up your game, dude. Seriously. Yeah, it is. Anyway, you, you said what? Said something about being caught in a force slam and... <laughs> Okay, well, yeah. do you remember, like, the second game we ever played in this system when you were playing Kachuk, your Wookiee Jedi, who was a melee monster? Oh, yeah. And you guys were caught in melee with a whole crap load of, twi- of excuse me, Twi'lek. Thank you, pronunciation. No, 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 no. It is Twi'lek. I looked I it up on Twi'lek, Star Twi'lek. Wars. Even, even Rodney said Twi'lek, okay? I looked it up on StarWars.com, and it's Twi'lek. They have a pronunciation guide there. It is Twi'lek. Ooh. Okay, Twi'lek. All right, so you guys are fighting a whole bunch of Twi'lek bodyguards when you're trying to, to take down that particular yes. informant. And uh, you guys were doing really poorly, and you were in melee with, like, three of these uh, Twi'leks that had force pikes, and you were getting hurt bad, and one of your buddies ripped off a force slam and caught you in it, and, in fact, knocked you unconscious but still managed to save your life by doing so. That was actually the other way around. I unleashed a force slam, oh. and I put one of our PCs down. I mean... To nothing. He had to use a force point to not die. That was right. But I eliminated like three of the five baddies that he was fighting. Otherwise, yeah, right. he would have been killed. You know, he would have been. Yeah, he would have died horribly. Yeah. Um. So, wouldn't it would have been nice if you had uh, the discipline strike talent from the ultra talent tree it, to it mitigate nice. his damage? Absolutely. And been... You forgot the whole you know tumbling out of the acrobatic you know thing to get out of the melee that I was in. To use the force, yeah. It was just okay, I'm sorry, I forgot how badass your character was, was in that session. Oh my god! Mood. Oh. oh my god! Oh. You guys were level three, you know. Like, hey, none of you had access to any, any oh. of these awesome prestige class talents yet. It was like OMG, you know. Never I'm mind. Pretend you didn't do that. <laughs> That's what having an 11 year old daughter will do for you. Oh god! All right, let's move on. Uh, the other force talents you can choose from: the control talent tree. Like Dave, who likes to play as Wookiees, are you the meat wall of the party, or are you simply very weak? Um, either way, take a look at the control talent tree. Um, equilibrium is almost broke-tastic. Um, per raw, it actually removes persistent conditions. Yes, younglings, persistent conditions. Uh, DR-10 and Force Recovery, highly useful for the Jedi with his D-10 hit die who meet shields for the party. Force Focus is nifty. Um, and a full round action to regain a Force Power without spending a Force Point sounds nice, but combat I don't know. Combat's so swift in Saga that a full round might actually cost you more than what you gain. So, eh, maybe, maybe not. 
Moving on to the sense talent tree. Um, this is useful in certain circumstances, and it's really kitschy. But this talent tree helps out a non-skilled character uh, very much. I don't know, like a Jedi. <laughs> um, someone who couldn't train in perception or pilot or initiative. Well, hey, now you can use, use the force checks instead. Or spend a force point to reroll. Um, gauge force potential could be useful for a PC fighting lots of Sith. And visions is one of the neatest role-playing talents in the game. But in my opinion, that's kind of the only limit it has. Yeah. Unless you have a really, really, really creative GM. Right. And lastly, the dark side talent tree. Ah, yes. Okay. All right. (sighs) Maybe you're playing a dark side game. Maybe you're just dark siding it, you know, without having those DSPs to reach your wisdom. And if you're playing a dark side game, you ain't going to make it to level seven. (laughs) If experience says otherwise, no, not without a really good playing group. Yeah. But either way, um, with the exception of swift power, which is tight. Uh, this talent tree is about enhancing attack and defense. It is combat-related. So if you're able to play a dark side character or you're fine carrying those dark side points, you know, just playing that dark-tainted character, this could be a really useful talent tree if you're making that combat machine. But in other words, that's kind of a basic overview of those force talents, you know, that you kind of want to gear your character towards moving towards force add-up. So basically, you told us all that to tell us this. Pretty much. you got to be adept at something. All right? And that's kind of the core point of this prestige class now despite its title the prestige class can lead you to be adept at using the force it can lead you to be adept at creeping people out it can lead you to being adept at beating people down or adept at sucking (laughs) Um, so let's examine the meat of the prestige class and discuss how to achieve each one of those goals although i don't know why you'd want to be adept at sucking but we can talk about it level eight master (laughs) of suck (laughs) so let's talk about the basics um, of this prestige class. Now, despite its potentially impressive combat options, this class does suffer from a poor base attack bonus, okay, and a D8 hit die, which is uh. not terrible, but it's no D10. Also, at first level, you snag up a plus four to your will defense and a plus four to your reflex defense. Mm. Um, again, not Wait, the best whoa, whoa, whoa. spread. Plus four, for a combat plus two. Character. Yeah, plus four, plus two. Not not the best spread for a combat character. Okay. All right. Now f- let's talk force techniques. All right, now we're going to delve into kind of a deeper conversation on this, and this is one of the reasons why this podcast is going to be so long. In our other prestige class discussions, there are two other prestige classes that use these same force techniques. We're going to talk about them now, okay, in their entirety, as well as we can. Maybe discuss them when we get to them with the other two prestige classes, but we really want to devote some time to it now. Okay, three prestige classes, the Force Adept, the Jedi Knight, and the Sith Apprentice get force techniques as their even level abilities. There's only a few, but they are almost all utterly amazing. So let's take that time now and let's talk about them. First on the docket, force point recovery. Oh my gosh, that's no wonder yeah. it's first. Wait, you mean I just get back a spent force point at the end of the encounter and I can take this talent multiple times? So many force powers become uber awesome through the expenditure of a force point and now that expenditure isn't one so many uber force wizard builds are built around this force technique it's not even funny if you were to take this technique each time you learned a technique i wouldn't fault you for it i mean and we're talking every encounter boys and girls not you know we're talking every single encounter every single encounter not not once a day how how many times how many encounters do you have in a typical session this Four, maybe well, three, yeah. five. Who knows? Somewhere in there. Yeah, and so it's it's really worth its weight in gold. And I have seen force adepts that just take this again and again and again and again and again over and over and over because it's that useful. Yeah. 
But looking at some of the other options, it's kind of tempting to take some other things, too. So let's look at those. Force power mastery. Take 10 on a use the force check for a single power. Mm. Okay. Uh, not bad. Okay, it's situational. Okay, true. But for, for an expert um, force user, such as like a force healer, um, not only can it really fit role-playing-wise, but it can make good sense. You know, the ability to take 10 on, on a treat injury, you use the force check, yeah. and, or, or a, uh, you know, excuse me, not treat injury, use the force check to do vital transfer and right. know that you're going to heal this much irregardless. Right. That can be very useful. Okay. okay. Moving on, improved force trance. Heal two times your level every hour instead of just your regular level every hour. Not bad. Okay, but honestly, I don't know that this is a worthy technique compared to some of the others. I mean, with vital transfer in play, yeah. you know, meh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, improved move light object. Now, this sounded so cool to me when I first read it. All right, move a light object is a swift action instead of a move, and attack with a light object as a move instead of a standard. Okay, well, really nifty. And it allows you effectively to attack with move light object twice around. But honestly, by ninth level, mm. which is when you're going to learn your first technique, if you're counting on a D6 of damage to do anything to your foe, something's kind of wrong, I just in, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Still, there's there's a lot of potential use for for a scoundrel type force user. I mean, improve my move light object is is pretty useful for your random you know events here and there within an encounter within game. So yeah. kind of useful. Bah. Improved sense force. Um, though it may not sound like much, sensing force at mid to high levels in a faster manner can actually save your butt. Okay. Since you are much more apt to fight force users, um, sneaky ones at that, at the at the prestige class level, knowing who is and who isn't a force user as a move action instead of a full round can give you time to protect yourself. And this is very important, especially in a Sith heavy campaign, or you know the Jedi who goes that Sentinel route, pretty much. So, depending on the type of game you're playing, this can be really useful or, or not so much. But if you find yourself fighting a lot of force users, consider this talent. Consider consider that technique. Uh, moving on, improved sense surroundings. Now, I lectured on and on about this in um, our, our Force episodes. Sense surroundings is one of the most amazing non-Force power abilities of a straight use of Force skill check, um, letting you ignore cover and concealment with making perception checks. Activating it is only a swift action, so is it worth a technique, Dave, to make that swift action a free action? It's, uh, it depends on your character. Absolutely. I guess. I mean, it depends on what all I mean. You know, I mean, a swift action, you know, I mean, maybe activating Battle Strike or something like that, I guess. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, m- maybe it'll suit you, but, you know, going from a swift to a free action, mm. I mean, you know, spending a force technique on that, that may or may not be worth it. I'm still not excited by, very, by most yeah. of these, and definitely not by the next one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited by the next one, but then again, this is one of those things that really depends on your character. Uh, the last force technique you can choose from is improved telepathy. Uh, now, this is great for a good role-playing game, okay? Or a team that uses the force user as a good linchpin for a tactical assault, okay? The ability to re-roll your use the force checks and keep the better result, and that doesn't happen very often, when activating telepathy. Now, that's pretty cool. Now, I've played in games where, you know, there's a bunch of force users, and they'll use that one force user with the great skill as this, you know, as I said, a linchpin for a tactical assault. You know, you get in, you get in ready positions, you know, and you can't see each other. Maybe you can't risk comlink usage. And, you know, the force user will just be like, you know, go, you know, with this telepathy. And I've seen that used, but, again, it's, it's pretty situational. But great for a role-playing character. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. Something to consider. I can see that, though. Yeah. Yeah. But that is basically the force techniques, and again, that is your even level ability. Choose well, choose wisely, but in my opinion, the gem out of all of it, and again, I wouldn't fault you for taking it every single time, is force point recovery. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, let's talk about the odd levels of this prestige class. Let's talk talents. Um, This is kind of cool. The force adept is one of the few prestige class with three of its own talent trees. No referencing back to scout or soldier or noble or anything like that. Three of its own talent talent trees, fresh and brand new on the Prestige class pages. There is the Dark Side Devotee talent tree, the Force Adept talent tree, and the Force Item talent tree. Now, each talent tree is focused on a basic character principle, and each can do great things for you. So let's delve into each one. And let's talk about the Dark Side Devotee talent tree, Dave. This talent tree is, is something you'll want to discuss with your your GM, in my opinion. Now, now, I know GMs that will give dark side points just for using the talents in this tree, okay? And with names like Channel Anger and, and Embrace the Dark Side, um, yeah, I, I can see why. Mm. But, you know, uh, you know, to talk with your GM before you do this, all right? If you're going to earn a DSP just for activating one of these talents, this may or may not be worth it for I, you. Uh, I don't know. It depends on yeah. how you use it. It depends on how you... Yeah, exactly. But again, this is very, very much GM-determined. You're going to want to work with your GM on this, okay? Now, three of the four talents in this tree, Channel Aggression, Channel Anger, and Crippling Strike, are directly about hitting your foe harder, faster, and for more damage, okay? Very, very, very heavily useful for a combat-oriented fighter, character. The essence of this this primitive force user, you know, who has used the force to gain advantage in combat, you know, that, that's really where it, where it comes about. Embrace the dark side, let your reroll use the force checks for dark side powers, and that's at the expense of never being able to use light side powers. Is that worth it? Eh, perhaps. It's an excellent choice either way for a dark force wizard, BBEG, maybe, for sure. So, something to consider. Moving on, the force adept talent tree. Um, this talent tree fits with that traditional role of the Force Adept as a, a primitive shaman, you know, maybe who works as a healer or calls upon a specific power, you know, such as vital transfer, you know, very frequently. Yep. Um, force Power one. Adept is a, a great talent for the healer or the telekinetic, mm-hmm. um, someone who focuses on a single power a great deal. Uh, spending a Force Point to re-roll or use the Force check on that power and keep the better result, that's nice. It's very nice. And if you are playing that healer who needs to get the best result no matter what, if you're playing a telekinetic with, you know, five move objects in your force suite, this could make a lot of sense if you're focusing on that particular power. But again, if you're someone who's a very varied force user, it may or may not be worth it because of the specific power you have to denote when you take it. It only works for that one power. So, Force treatment um, is a very specific to the healing role, yet again, making use the force checks instead of treat injury checks. And you can treat complex injuries without complex medical equipment. Very nice. My only problem with it is that, well, a healer, per se, would probably have already found a way to have a good treat injury modifier by 8th level, wouldn't you think? Um, so, you know, all of a sudden saying, hey, you can use use the force instead of treat injury. Wow, that's nifty. But at this stage of the game, I mean, is it, is it really going to make that big of a deal? Pretty much. 
Fortified Body um, is an odd one, and this is kind of the last talent in the tree. Now, it really fits that shaman role of being unnaturally healthy, you know, whereas being immune to disease and radiation and poison, you know, certainly does qualify. And it's really kitschy and can help you out in a lot of circumstances, especially if your GM likes to throw hazards at you again and again and again. The ability to just shrug off radiation or poison or disease can be nice, but uh, there's some other talents I think that we'd probably want to take first. That. And then moving to the last talent tree in the prestige class, the force item talent tree. If you are the party That's beat me. stick. That's me. That's Dave. And you're a force user, guess what? This talent tree is for you. It is all about buffing up attack and defense power. A tune weapon and <clears throat> empower weapon let you permanently, permanently give a weapon your own plus one to attack. It's just beautiful. And an extra die of damage, respectively. All for the expenditure of a force point or two. Yes. Again, the benefits are permanent for that item. And that's remarkable. I've seen a lot of melee monster Jedis that will take a few levels and force that up just to turn their lightsaber into a you know, masterwork weapon you know, with the plus one to hit that deals three die eight naturally. Um, and a lot of people consider that worthwhile. Mm. For, you know, potentially. I'm seeing for, four D10 in my future. Hey man, it works, man. If you all you got to do, seriously, you can you can turn that vibro wax of yours, you know, with this talent up into a, a three die ten, you know, rapid strike, bam, four die ten. You're doing you're doing massive damage with a melee weapon. You can't complain. You might also want to invest in force talisman and greater force talisman, the other two talents in the tree. Now they're neat, okay, and the defense bonuses they provide are spiffy. But I don't know. For a measly plus one to mm. defense, I'm I'm not sure if it's worth a talent or two. Yeah, uh, take the feed improved defenses first, basically. Yeah, uh, kind of, kind of my two cents on that. There you go. So tell us what the bottom line is. Okay, the bottom line. Look, the reasons for taking this prestige class are varied, but let's get a few things straight here. This is probably not the class to take beyond a, a dip level or two if you're building a certain character. In my humble opinion, the best thing about this prestige class is the force techniques. But two other classes give you force techniques. So why take levels in force adept over the others? Or why avoid force adept in favor of the others? Okay, well, let's talk about some of the party rules you may or may not want to maintain. The damage dealer. Okay, now there's some really nifty attack capabilities in this prestige class. But if your damage is done with a lightsaber, Jedi Knight and Sith Apprentice will get you much more bang for your buck. Period. End of sentence. Empower weapon, yeah, that's worth the dip. But that's about it, frankly. However, if you are a ranged damage dealer, or you're not using a lightsaber, okay, uh, you know, you don't want to touch a lightsaber, the force item and dark side devotee talent trees will help you immensely, since the duelist and lightsaber form talent trees found in the other two prestige classes don't mean crap to you. So, consider that if you are a non-lightsaber wielding damage dealer, mm -hmm. this prestige class is excellent. Yep. Another good template for it, the Force Wizard. All right. Now, unlike the Jedi Knight and Sith Apprentice, which definitely have a combat-oriented bent, the Force Wizard build will find a great amount of mileage out of the Force Adept via the Force Adept talent tree. Force Item and Dark Side Devotee talent trees are a great help to your non-combat character if you want to get them up to scale. But, I mean, if you've gotten this far on pure Force use, continue the trend, basically. And lastly, I kind of want to talk about why Tebow is my favorite character. <laughs> Who is Tebow? Now, I've talked before about one of my all-time favorite Star Wars characters, Tebow the Ewok, on the forums. 
Um, despite my fond, fond uh, West End games memories, Tebow was a revised Core Rules character, and he was a Force adept. He was a primitive who couldn't make use of anything but a spear and a bow. He feared technology. He thought it was thought it was magic. The force and the force was for him the voices of the ancestors and the spirits of the great trees of his world. Was this character difficult to play because of this? Oh yes, <laughs> trust me. But it was the most rewarding character I've ever played. Now we don't talk a lot about role playing on this show, okay? Mostly because it's well, it it's pretty lame to hear two nerds talk about their characters <laughs> for an hour. Um, and we enjoy the crunch, but never think for an instant that Dave and I make the crunch our only concern. I've said before that I feel role-playing is the primary goal here. The mechanics just facilitate it. This prestige class is chocked full of ways to make your role-playing choice mechanically sound, and that is why I like it. Relegated to a single D8 from a primitive weapon? Well, bam. With one talent from this prestige class, your meager sword now does as much damage as a lightsaber. Okay, are you, are you feeling inadequate as the party Jedi condescends to you about your primitive knowledge? Well, you show him the true power of your spirit gods by drinking a bottle of poison or curing a plague with the Force. All right, and if you're an Ewok, <laughs> you push buttons. You push lots and lots of buttons. So. Everyone that you find everyone that you find so that is the force adept i hope you uh enjoyed our analysis of it if you have anything to add if you have anything to uh tell us we're screwed up on and that we made wrong choices on please let us know get to the forums at d20 docking bay um uh, excuse me at d20 radio.com slash forums and let us know that's right and see Excellent. you uh, you revealed our next stop along the uh i know i was reading ahead highway. slightly on the show <laughs> <laughs> By golly, and this is going to facilitate a call, I believe, to um, TK421. TK421, if we can possibly get him on the show this time. I, I honestly I honestly don't know if we can. I have a bad feeling. Tango Kilo 421. Tango Kilo 421. This is, this is Tranquility Base here. TK421, please come in, sir. He sucks. Well, hey guys, how the hell y'all doing? Well, my favorite redneck trooper. Woo! <laughs> oh, I'm good to talk to y'all, man. I missed y'all last week. Yeah, I know, dude. I heard I heard you were in the hospital, actually, because some Jedi lobbed a grenade right back in your face when you threw it. Oh, man, the rumors of that event was greatly exaggerated. Yeah, <laughs> all right. I'd like to take this time right now to talk about how... Ain't no Jedi be lobbing grenades back at me. It was it was a training exercise that went wrong. <laughs> the old training That's exercise. All right, all right. Man, what you got for us? We've been training a lot recently, though, man. Really? Where you at? What you what you up to? Oh man, well, I tell you what, right, I tell you what, right now, man. We're on Corellia this week, man. We're down at the we're down at the basic training core we got here, and we're going through some basic fire exercises and through some basic combat techniques right here. I'm helping educate some of them younger stormtrooping recruits on the basics of combat. All right, combat training, eh? Oh yeah, well, we got help, man. You know, you know, there's a lot of call and all these rebellion people walking around. You know, a lot of us troopers are spread throughout the galaxy, so you know, we got also a whole host of droids, man, to kind of help us, you know, simulate these live fire exercises. Oh, making use of the little tin cans, eh? Hey, I guess, man. They're they're all right. I hey, mean, but, God damn, they're, they're, most of them are dumb as hell, son. Yeah, yeah, we know. 
They're slow, too. They don't do too terrible much, man. I mean, you start shooting at them, it takes them three, four, five, six seconds before they even start shooting back, man. I don't understand it. <laughs> well, you have to understand droids. I, I guess. guess. Yeah. You know, my mechanic skill ain't very high. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, knowledge technology. I mean, uh, uh I, I don't know too much about droids, son, you know. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. I heard all about but, it. You know, uh, we're getting better with it, and these new recruits, they seem to enjoy blowing them up, so, you know, I enjoy it too, but out of the way, son, I'm going to get back to it. We got a new firefight exercise coming up. I, I got to get prepped for All right, well, have fun shooting at those little tin cans and tell them I said hi, and, uh, you know, if you see Commander Cody, hit him up against the head. Hit him upside the head. <laughs> Man, there ain't too many clones left, man. But when we see them, we always tap them. You know, they look like Campbell's soup cans. You know, all sitting up there on the row. <laughs> it's funny. All right. Later, holders. All right, man. We'll see you later. Have a pleasant uh, evening. God, I know. I, I kind of enjoyed not having to hear from him last week. Yeah. <sighs> That's all right. Very, very interesting. But it's interesting to hear that he is uh, doing fire exercises with droids. It kind of brings up a, a point of this week's D20 docking bay. Oh, and uh, this week's D20 docking bay? Well, we'll wait on that. D20 docking bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. So this week's D20 docking bay, brought to us by none other, Raving Dork. Raving Dork, yes. He posted this gem up on the D20 Docking Bay forums. And we're running a little thin, guys. Most of what we have up there actually has not only been answered uh, either in D20 Docking Bay or Mail Call, or is being reserved for an upcoming uh, prestige class discussion because some of it directly relates to it. Nope. So if you guys get a chance, get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forum and get to that uh, D20 Docking Bay thread and post your suggestions. We'd love to have them. Let us know what you want us to talk about, what rules, quandaries, and confusions you're having, and we will do our best to clarify them. Excellent. So, speaking of interesting quandaries, as Dave said, uh, Raving Dork proposed this on our, and knowing him, no doubt, 13 other forums. (laughs) Uh, So the question is, where do you follow Raw and the GM sense at the table? Um, This is actually a rather common situation at the table, uh, which might test those bounds. Raving Dork says, here's a question that has stumped me for a while, uh, with no response from the devs. What happens at the start of a fight involving droids without heuristic processors and training in the initiative skill? According to the rules, droids with basic processors aren't even allowed to roll initiative checks unless they're trained. I love finding the hard ones. And that you did, RD, that you did. Uh, In many games I've been involved in, we seem to have a lot of questions about non-PC droid abilities and capabilities. So let's take some time to understand how non-droid, uh, non-PC droids work and what makes them tick, and how a droid is able to act in initiative. Let's first talk about understanding droid processors. Let's do a basic review of how droids think, how they act, and how they learn. Let's talk about the brain and the heart of any droid processors. 
there's only a few types of processors a droid can have. Um, and as already mentioned, first of all, uh, the one PCs are going to be most innately familiar with is the heuristic processor. And these are mainly the domain of heroic droids, droid PCs. Rarely, very rarely, does a stock droid, non-PC, ever have a heuristic processor. Although it, it is there. Frankly, if a non-PC droid is in your party, i.e. a noble with the wealth talent has purchased one, you don't want them to have a heuristic processor. It allows a droid to learn creatively, yes, to grow, yes, and to gain XP. And honestly, do you really want another XP leech on your party? Nope. I thought not. No. Heuristic processors do allow droids to make skill checks untrained, so it doesn't really come into your question, RD. So, moving on. Remote processors. Ever wonder why all those battle droids walk the same way? <laughs> well, it's because a droid with a remote processor doesn't even think for itself. The ginormous computer that is its remote processor controls all it does via, via its remote receiver. And even if that goes down, a droid with a backup processor will at least fight on for a while. In regards to your question, RD, RAW doesn't specify the details of the remote processor that sends out those hive commands. But a dash of good GM sense tells me that an electronic brain that big would probably be heuristic, allowing it to make untrained skill checks for its drones. At the very least, it would probably be trained in most skills relating to combat, and the RAW even includes a mechanic, minus two to dex-based checks, that would necessarily lower said droid's initiatives based on distance from that command computer. But now we move into our basic processor, the meat of your question. Most stock droids simply come with a basic processor. No creative thought. It does what it's told, and it can only do what it's been trained to do. It can't make any skill checks untrained, it can't attempt to use weapons it's not proficient with, and it's got a snowball's chance on Tatooine of creatively interpreting its orders. So, per raw, how does your stock Viper series probe droid engage in a blaster battle with Han Solo and Chewbacca? Hmm. Let's talk about interpreting initiative. One of the biggest changes between Saga and prior D20 systems is that initiative is now a skill instead of a derived attribute. So, since a basic processor doesn't allow the use of non-trained skills... Well, first of all, my little example of the Viper Probe droid is actually a bad one, since that model is trained in initiative. But what about your artillery droids? Or your interrogation droids? Or, even though they may not be able to pick up a blaster and use it, your 3PO and R2 units, who can still contribute in an encounter? Well, there are a couple ways to do it. Raw. I'm going to label it RAW, Greasy RAW, and GM Fiat. So let's talk about RAW. The only way I can see to do this, rules as written, is through the readied action. As a droid with a basic processor, you don't have to make an initiative check to ready an action. And readying an action not only puts you into initiative when that action triggers, but that initiative count stays with you throughout the encounter. So a droid could feasibly ready an action before an encounter starts, or once the encounter has started, if, they don't, if they're not in initiative, they're not technically, technically part of it, they can ready an action at that point and then enter initiative at a later time. The next section I would call Greasy Raw. Um, is this legal? Maybe. Does it make sense? Oh yeah. If the droid has its owner or controller nearby, I would have that owner slash controller determine the droid's initiative by commanding it to action. So in play, this would work out much like a ready to action with the droid essentially readying an action to listen for its master to act. Mechanically, this would put the droid directly behind its controller in initiative. Personally, I really like this idea. The third option would be GM Fiat. Give the droid a simple dex check for initiative or put it last in initiative. 
Now I've seen both of these methods used at the table, and I really can't say I'm comfortable with either one. If a droid could simply take a dex check for initiative, how does that differentiate it from a level 1 PC who isn't trained in initiative? There is no difference. Would the droid's non-heroic levels come into play? Okay, you see what I mean. Other GMs I've seen have simply put the droid last in initiative count. You know, since it can't make a check, it effectively takes a zero. I can't say I like this either, because it puts the PCs at an unfair advantage against any droid opponent. So, my advice, if you're a big stickler for raw, use it, go for the ready to action. If you're fine with a little bit of interpretation in your rules, go for that greasy raw. Have the droid's controller determine its action. If, the, if that controller is in combat, put them directly after that controller in, in initiative count. And that's kind of my two cents on that. What do you think, Dave? I think you're right on. We use uh, Greasy Raw right now, as a matter of fact, and I think it's working out just fine. I much agree. And uh, Ula, our uh, Twi'lek Noble, with her 3PO unit, would certainly agree. Absolutely, man. Well, I think that draws to a close this uh, semi-drunken and uh, half-abashed episode into uh, Star Wars Saga Edition, and we want to thank you guys for taking the time to tune in and listen, and uh, we look forward to talking to you guys next week. That's right. We wish everyone a safe Memorial Day weekend. If you're listening to us on the way home from wherever you went today or this weekend, please make it home safely, wear your seat belts, and do not drive after you've consumed beverage. That would be bad. It would be very bad. That's right. On that note, guys, peace, love, and a very safe, good gaming. That's right. Keep them dice a-rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Yes. Danica Patrick was wrecked in the pits today during the Indy 500. Tony Stewart had a flat tire, which let the little baby face Casey Kane win the Coca-Cola 600. I hear words. They mean nothing to me. So today is a dark day in motorsports for GM Dave. Oh.